Like, I think Americans, when they come over here, they struggle. When you mm. see America play in the Olympics and the lead up to the Olympics, they struggle. They struggle with the FIBA game. Yeah. And so if I would give any like um, advice to Americans that want to come over and play internationally, you have to watch how the FIBA, yeah. watch, watch Europe League, watch Australian League, watch the NBL. You gotta be you gotta prepare for what you're getting in, in yeah. yourself into. Hundred percent. You know what I mean. You gotta watch the war as it's happening and then adjust to what's going on. Hundred percent. We had a final scrimmage. I mean, I was playing with Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, uh, Hubert Davis. I was playing with Sean um, uh, Eric Strickland, mm. Sean Bradley. I mean, the list goes on. Steve Nash was hitting me on the forty-five. I was hitting threes, and he was pointing at me. Do you know how that made me feel? Now, at that point. I hadn't told any of the Hawaii media, told nobody. I just wanted, because if I made it, what a splash that would be, yeah. a, a local boy from Hawaii making it. All right, so first of all, returning guest, Good friend of the Macro Ball podcast, uh, general manager of the Comeback Kings brand and club, often the head coach of some of the teams as well. <laughs> Point guard that set all of this up today, Joel Popel. Thank hey, you yo. for coming back. Hey, Micah. Uh, and very honored to have first time guest of the Macro Ball podcast, a former professional basketball player in the United States for the Kansas City Razorbacks and the Connecticut Skyhawks. If I missed one, we'll talk about that after. Uh, former pro in Australia as well, uh, probably most notably the Maruchidor Clippers, the Ipswich Force, the Toowoomba Mountaineers, the Warwick Wildcats, Mount Crosby Mustangs, and the Gold Coast Guanas. They yep, got and, all of them. And the Burdick and Wildcats as well. Okay. And currently referees across multiple Queensland leagues, most notably NBL1 Women's League. Uh, currently also the coach of the Comeback Kings in the Greater Brisbane League, also known as the GBL Gold Division. That is the highest division, correct? Yep. Yeah. Uh, you, might, you might have also heard him on the Searchers podcast and the Cross Factor podcast. I listened to that last night. It was excellent. Uh, Michael McDaniel, thank you for joining. I appreciate being here. Aloha. <laughs> so, Mike, uh, we're going to go over a brief timeline. I think you've had a pretty wild and fascinating journey that's led you up to today, obviously. Uh, so let's do a quick run over. So first question, where were you born and raised? Springfield, Massachusetts, but my dad was in the military. So right. I was pretty much raised around the world. I lived in Europe for five years, all across the mainland United States. We ended up in Hawaii in 1985. Okay. Because I was going to say, yeah, I was reading a bit on your background from what I found. You lived in Germany. Is that right? Yep. We lived in Germany, Gelnhausen, and then Hanau. Cool. And then uh, what were the other American cities you lived in? Okay, so I've lived in Kansas City. I've lived in California. I lived in um, Kentucky. I lived in Massachusetts. Um, yeah, so we lived hitters. in Texas as yeah. well. So military kids, they move, they move around a lot. Okay, so then you moved to Hawaii in 85. Um, how old were you at the time? 15. Okay, so you lived there for a bit. And then you attended Hawaii Pacific University? Yep. Uh, played for the Sharks, is that the name? Yeah, see, I'm a sea warrior. They they changed oh. that name um, to the Sharks, I think, in 2010 or something like yeah. that. But we were the Sea Warriors, sea warriors. Uh, up until then. So yeah, cool. Uh, 
and you were part of the team that beat uh, Oklahoma Baptist University to win the NAIA championship in 93. The only national championship in Hawaii basketball wow. history. The only one. Amazing. UH hasn't done it. And then in 2014, uh, obviously skipping ahead here a little bit in the timeline, you were inducted into the Hawaii Pacific University Hall of Fame. Yes, I was. And um, congratulations. It was was, uh, a good time because my brother was still alive. Okay. And uh, my father, ahead of me, he went to the uh, University of Rhode Island. He's in the Hall of Fame for gridiron there. Wow. And he was uh, inducted in uh, 1956. And uh, so it was good to be able to share that uh, that lineage. Yeah, that's really cool. So then, uh, did you have any particular favorite memories or lessons learned from your time in Hawaii, at Hawaii Pacific? Yeah, well, my Coach Salito, he was a big philosopher, and um, he was always about business. Yeah, you know, if you're not talking about business, you're talking about something that I don't care to talk about. So, you know, he one of the biggest things he said: if you show me a good loser, I'll show you a loser. I've taken that all my life. It's pretty strong advice. Yep. Um, so then. From there, so I, there was a bit of conflicting information. I'm sure you'll be able to clear this up. Uh, you came to Australia to play professionally in 1995? 1995, and at the time was Ipswich Eagles, not the Force. Okay, cool. And then uh, it says here again, you came back. So you went to play back in America for the uh, Razorbacks and the Skyhawks. Then at that time, did you try out for the Dallas Mavericks? So what happened was... Um I was trying out for the US, uh, USBL, yep. uh, Skyhawk, uh, Connecticut Skyhawks, and I ran into this guy who was connected to Master P, <laughs> the wow. rapper. Yeah, yeah. And um, he had a, a summer league uh, that he was playing, and then he was going to enter his team into um, the NBA summer league. Yeah. And so they saw me, and they were like, hey, man, we have one, one spot. Would you want to play? And I was like... Master P, yeah. man, I'm in this, man. Let's go. That was at the height of Master P at the time, right? Like he was as famous as you could get in America. Yes, he was. Especially, and obviously, amongst the hip hop community, but just in general, he's a well known name and face. And he he played for the Toronto Raptors, I believe. Toronto Raptors, and I'll tell you what, he was as big as his hype. Like I didn't think he could play. I was like, here we go. He's a famous rapper. <laughs> of course, they're going to give him an opportunity to play, and yeah. he could put it down. He could actually play. Yeah. And he's really humble. Yeah. Like I, when you see in his in his interviews, I mean, he may seem hard or whatever, and yeah, he is. I mean, he he's about his business, but he's really down to earth. Mm. You know what I mean? He's truthful. He'll just he is who he is. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so then after the tryouts, you came to Australia. Is that correct? Yes, I came yeah. in two thousand, and um, that's right after I uh, I got cut. I got to the Dallas Mavericks, and I did better than I thought I was going to do. Like I was hitting threes, dunking on people. <laughs> I I played better than I'd ever played before. Then what happened was um, Don Nelson Jr., he pulled all us together. With, I remember there's Pete Philo, myself. Um, Chris Anstey was there right before he got traded to Chicago. Right. And um, he said, all right, we got one spot left. One spot. Yeah. And I was like, woo, boy, I just got to keep doing what I'm doing. And yeah. I'm in there. Now, at that point... I hadn't told any of the Hawaii media, told nobody. I just wanted, because if I made it, what a splash that would be. Yeah. A, a local boy from Hawaii making it all the way to the NBA. Nobody had done it yet, mm. except for Trevor Ruffin. Trevor Ruffin went to University of Hawaii, and he had done well, and made the Lakers back in 92. Uh, cool. So then what happened was um, we had 
a final scrimmage. I mean, I was playing with Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, uh, Hubert Davis. I was playing with Sean, um, uh, Eric Strickland, mm. Sean Bradley. I mean, the list goes on. And they were all hailing me. I mean, they, Steve Nash was hitting me on the 45, was hitting threes, and he was pointing at me. Do you know how that made me feel? Mm -hmm. Woo! So I come back. And I'm good for like the first five minutes, and then everything just hits me. I have all the coaches looking at me. I have all the players looking at me. I'm guarding Michael Finley, and I'll tell you about this story. And I think it was over at this time. So he got it on the 45, jabbed me left. I went all the way to my right. He went middle. I'm thinking, because I could jump back then. I had, I had all this above the rim. Yeah. He cocks it back. I land on his shoulders. He takes me up with him, <laughs> slams the ball. Wow. The whole gym left the they, the whole stadium left the gym. Wow. They just laughed and left the gym. Everybody pointed at me. Damn. I think all the blood ran from my face. <laughs> I think I, I look black right now, but I think I look gray right then. That's hilarious. And from there, I just I couldn't hit a shot. Mm. I couldn't catch the ball. It's tough. And I remember Don Nelson pulled me, the Don Nelson Jr. pulled me aside. He said, listen, you really surprised us. You're 29 years old. Usually, he said, what the hell have you been doing? You know, I said, I've been over in Australia playing. He said, man, if we had got a hold of you maybe two or three years ago, we probably could have done something with you. But we got somebody that's 23, you know, can do pretty much the same thing as you do. But what we'll do yeah. is we'll give you a good recommendation. And they did. Okay. They gave me a good recommendation. I had a letters. I had I got gear from them, but they knew that I, you know, that you had your chance and you couldn't do it. And that was my chance. Mm. I, at the at the best that I was playing, I couldn't get it done, and I, I I was okay with that. I had to walk away. It sounds like you left it all out on the floor. I and that's did. All you can ask for, right? I did. I did. I have. I wish I had the videos with me. They're back in Hawaii. Okay. And I'm gonna get them shipped over here for for a future for a future podcast. You can see how I was playing, man. I mean, I was man. I, I was imagine. just crushing on people man but yeah when it came that was like a playoff situation and i failed like lebron did when he played <laughs> against dirk nowinski yeah <laughs> nowinski my bad so yeah that's funny yeah so then okay so that happens and uh i, I did want to talk a little bit more about the mavericks try <clears throat> tryout in a bit so then you come back to australia straight after yep yeah and which team did you start playing for um, I remember I went out for Toowoomba Mountaineers. Okay. Um, what happened was I got the Paramount of Panthers. Oh, they were okay. down in Sydney. Yep. They folded. So I got all the way out here. They folded, but I couldn't, I didn't want to go home because people, mm. I was telling everybody I was going out to play professional ball, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. Then they folded. Wow. And they said, look, we can give you a recommendation. I'm like, man, I already got a recommendation, you know? <laughs> That's all I got is recommendations. Yeah. So... Funny. A friend, a friend of mine named Chris Haig, she said, look, they have tryouts for Tuma Mountaineers. There's like five other Americans that they're, that they're trying. I said, Shh, it don't matter. It don't matter who they got. I said, I took a 12-hour train ride up to uh, Brisbane. Yep. I remember Adam Dara and uh, Chris Haig picked me up. And then I went out there. And um, the tryout was this. I had one quarter. Brisbane Capitals, we were playing on a, on a Friday night. And we had five Americans. One wasn't playing because he was injured. So that every American had one quarter to prove himself. I went out and scored 24 points in the fourth quarter. Wow. That's and, but amazing. then I, I didn't, then I still didn't get the gig <clears throat> oh, because at that time it was, they were playing for USQ and USQ was trying to get somebody who would fit the model of a student athlete. 
well, I wasn't going to make it. That's <laughs> University of Southern Queensland? Yep, yeah. yep. So um, they got this guy named Paul Fisher, who was a good basketball player. He'd come from uh, Harvard yeah. or Yale or something like that. He was a sure. you know rich kid, but played but played really good. He was built and everything, but uh, they, they ended up giving him the spot. So at that time, they only had about eight ABA. That was, this was like in 2000. So the ABA had gone down. Yeah. They only had eight teams at that time, so there wasn't anybody anywhere for me to go. So they made a Southern Cross League, oh. and I played in that. Okay, and so um, then, so you you played a bit of basketball throughout, I guess Queensland mostly. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. And then, at what year did you basically transition into either coaching or refereeing? So I took like I played into two thousand nine. Okay, and then I just got to a point where basketball wasn't really doing anything for me not emotionally spiritually physically anything and i saw a podcast or no it wasn't podcast it was joe rogan <laughs> ufc ufc fight oh night. yeah and i saw that and i was in such a, a a conundrum i was in such a a funk about my life yeah and something said mike you could do that i don't know why because it's fighting yeah i, mean, I could barely bust a grape you know what i mean <laughs> i look like i could do something but so i called up a few people Caught up uh, Peter Hickmott, and uh, he had me come in for a training. And I think by my pictures, he thought I was a bit shorter. So I, at that point, I was like 115, yeah. robust, still could play. And he said, sheesh, you are big. And then I think that gave him some incentive to want to train with me. And then this guy named Wayne Williams, I worked with him. So I took 10 years off. Yeah. And I oh, fought. I see. Yeah. I fought professionally for 10 years. Gotcha. Then I came back to basketball, and okay. I became a ref. Cool. And so you've been refing since, uh, like, I was listening to the Cross Factor podcast. You started when you were 47. Yep. Uh, was that seven, roughly six, seven years ago? Yeah, so 2017 would have been my first year doing under 16s. Yeah, and that's what you've basically been doing ever since? Yep, I've yeah. been doing that and just all, always focused on that. So yeah. yeah, and from the sounds of it, like I was saying, I was listening to the podcast, you're very passionate about the refereeing side of things. It seems like what it's giving you at this stage in your life is a chance to really connect with young players. Obviously, you know, you have to be unbiased in refing the game, but you want to give them feedback in the midst of the game. You also want to, like I said, connect with them and see, you mentioned on the podcast that you like to, you look around, you see the young talent and you go, I, I refereed that guy. That's awesome. So yeah. that's, it sounds like you're having a great time. And uh, you refereed one of our games, like my team, a few weeks back, a few months back. Few and months. Uh, easily the best ref we've had at, at Aquaflower. By far. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not even close. Um, and yeah, I was, uh, I was very impressed by that. So, I mean, all the best to you with your refereeing. Obviously, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, so I did want to quickly touch on when you came to Australia from America, either the first or the second time, did you notice any differences just in terms of the game? So playing basketball, American style versus Australian style? Because I have my thoughts. I'm sure Joel has his thoughts. Definitely. What did you find? Like maybe was there a culture shock or was it like the game is the game and you just roll the ball out? There's a lot of individual talent in America, but Absolutely. they don't necessarily play a team game. And, the AAU is a big problem for that, I think. And and the reason why, and, I, and I'm probably cotton on, that's another word, cotton on, I've been in Australia <laughs> for a while. Um, back in the day, you had a lot of team trainings, and you did your own individual training on your own, mm. right? You had That's the only way you could get better, particularly in summers. Yeah. When your summer came, that was a time, because we have three months off, it's not like here where every 10 weeks you get two-week break. 
summer times were where you got better. Yeah. And now AAU, they don't even train. They just throw the best players they can together and they come out there. And so they're not getting better as either a team or individually. And that's yeah. why I feel like places like Australia, Europe, you go to Yugoslavia and they have two-a-day trainings. Mm. And then in between that, they have an individual training. So I feel that those are the individual things that America has mm. over Australia. But as far as team play, Australia is going to take over. And I've been saying it for years, and Australia is getting closer and closer and closer. Yeah. And America won't really make that adjustment until they, after they get beat, like they did in 1988 when they lost to Puerto Rico. That's right. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the Australian way of playing... So, like, I grew up in Canada, and it's we're American-influenced, whether we like it or not. Yep. Um, Canada is obviously its own nation. It has its own, you know, vibe, we'll say. Um, but there's a lot of American influence in the basketball. But when I came over to Australia and I started playing basketball, I felt like it was somewhat of a similar experience for me. In Canada, there are similar types of AAUs, and, like, that's to say uh, sort of leagues where young players go in, like you said... It isn't really about improving as a player. It isn't really about improving as a team. It's kind of just you go out, you get a sweat on. They play like five games a day and no one really connects. There's no camaraderie built within the teams. And uh, it's really about recruiting superstar, like young talent to colleges and what have you. So that's a lot of what AAU is. And I didn't have that experience in Canada. I mean, I wasn't a superstar talent to begin with. But when I came to Australia, I started playing I joined the Comeback Kings. Thank you, Joel, for the opportunity. Um, it was a lot of the same. It's really about team. It's really about sharing the ball. You know, playing the right way, I think, is a bit cliche, but it's true. Uh, and taking the right shots. Not, you know, you, you, you play hard on defense and you get rewarded with offense. So that's a lot of the values that I noticed when I came over here. And I appreciate it because I think I fit in really well. Um, and then, like I said, when you look at the American style, it seems like it's about the individual. It seems like what's my brand, especially now, maybe not as much back in the 90s or the early 2000s, but it's really about branding, individualization. How can I market myself? How can I make the most money? And look, in America, a lot of kids that are playing bas any sport, the NFL, they're trying to get out of poor situations and make the best for themselves and their family. Yep. So I can't judge that that's how they go about things. Yep. But I would prefer to if obviously possible, you raise a kid or you grow up within an Australian style of sport and basketball. That's That's been my experience so far. Well, here's an interesting uh, statistic. Only 7% of the basketball players that graduate every year are going to go to college. Mm. Only 3% of those players are going to graduate college. Only 1% of those players are going to go on to play professionally. Yeah, and that's so any level of profession, right? Not, no, obviously well, not all I know is about basketball, but I think yeah. in, in life, everything is relevant. Absolutely. Right? So what are we preparing our children for? Yeah. If they can't make it in basketball, then what? Right. So the reason why I love Australia is because basketball is an elective. Mm. You know, it's not life. It's like a privilege. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's beyond a privilege. Mm. And where I feel like the responsibility of raising a young person should be family first, God first, family, and then whatever you want to do third. If you get all those right, yeah. everything that you want comes to you. When you don't have the right order and when, you're, when you don't have the right um, 
priorities. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Everything just goes in disarray. You got yeah, chaotic. It sounds like a, a very respectable, holistic approach to to life is like you get all your things in order and then you get to you get to play around a bit. You get to I've play tried them out of order. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you feel about Australia? Like obviously born and raised here, Joel. Do you think the Australian uh, basketball team is set to take off like Mike says? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, we've discussed it multiple times on the podcast previously. Apparently can't talk about it enough. Not enough. Uh, Mike hasn't necessarily heard a lot of my spiel on Australian basketball and the talent and, and stuff that's here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, especially uh, I've, I've noticed a little bit more now that we've had uh, a couple of guys come across from overseas and play with our GBL gold team, just how their style of play is and how they are and how they're been trained and, and, I'm just talking about individuals here for the, the in a junior style about how they've been brought up as such. Yeah. Yet it's amazing that when they come over here and that little bit of push that they need, what can happen? And it was a prime example of what happened. Just for example, of what happened a couple of weeks ago with uh, Jaron that we've got here at the moment. You just need that little bit of a push to say, just tweak it up, tweak your game up just that little bit. Use yeah. your size, use your body, get to the rim, get to the lane, hit your shooters. Just trust one another and stop trying to be individual, I guess. Yeah. And that have that Australian style. And man, he killed it. Yeah. Killed it. The one thing I want to add is like, I think <laughs> Americans, they own the game. It's their game. Basketball, blah, blah, blah. It's the most famous there. Yeah. When they come over here, they struggle. When you mm. see America play in the Olympics and the lead up to the Olympics, they struggle. They struggle with the FIBA game. Yeah. And so if I would give any like um, advice to Americans that want to come over and play internationally, you have to watch how the FIBA, yeah. watch watch Europe League, watch Australian League, watch the NBL. You got to be you got to prepare for what you're getting in, in yeah. yourself into. Hundred percent. You know what I mean. You got to watch the war as it's happening and then adjust to what's going on. Hundred percent. It's my understanding. Like I haven't paid enough attention to FIBA or NBL. Admittedly, Joel's tried to get me to. He's tried to pull me into a million bullet games. We've tried. I've missed every opportunity because I'm good <laughs> at that. Um, but watching That's from the brief bit I watched and in the was it the FIBA championships where Australia. The, the the most recent one where Duop Reith was really having a nice um, yeah so that was the um, that was the Asian championships that's right yep. so I was just watching that and one key difference I noticed and I'm sure there's many is in the FIBA or international game Europe I'm sure is very similar they kind of let them play more physically yeah and yep. the, I think they call some of the like three in the keys different and there's little things like that where and you've heard I've heard American players complain about it it's like oh it's just not it's a very different game to the NBA where the superstars are catered towards and yep. you get all the calls, superstar protected calls. And, yeah, yeah, protected. Um, and again, that's because that's a brand. That's a whole industry. Yep. Whereas FIBA is a bit, there's a bit more purity to the game, I suppose. Yeah. Well, and so, yeah. I have to go to what Corey homicide and, and God bless him, man. He, he's struggling with what he's struggling with, but I'll tell you what, he's the voice of reason. He's a voice of truth. He talked about how could LeBron go over to the Euro league and average 30 points. Or whatever he's uh, he's averaging something insane in the NBA, but that's because the NBA caters to him. Yep. I don't believe he could go over to. I don't believe any player that's in the NBA could average what they're averaging in the NBA and go play and average that in the Euro League or in the NBL. They just couldn't do it because yeah. it's pure here. Yeah. Well, I've heard Luka Doncic himself say that it's easier to score in the NBA than it is in where he played before he joined the NBA. Hundred percent. Yeah. I think it was the Spanish league. 
Um, yeah, he played for Real Madrid, yeah. Yeah, Real Madrid. And um, yeah, the NBA is like all all gas, no breaks, all offense. Defense is hard to come by. If you're a decent defensive team in the NBA, you can probably take care of business overall. Especially the NBA the- is atrocious right now. The, 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 the NBA All-Star game, my goodness, man. Uh, I had a, I, I think I vomited it in my mouth. It wasn't great. I, I didn't watch any of it I this year. I couldn't believe the dunk contest, everything. Contest, yeah, it was ridiculous. Point. I just think it's it's atrocious now. I think it's they've it's lost the brand. Yeah. Yep. yeah, the product has really fallen off. I agree. Um, what makes it good for the NBL, baby? Yeah. You know what sure. I mean? I Do think you, we're people coming are going to start looking elsewhere. Probably. A lot of those players are coming from the NBA now to the NBL. Yeah. And the NBL's rebranded themselves. I think we got a good, like, we got a good look at the future. As far as Australian basketball, like overall and like taking over, do you think that's because Australia just knows the FIBA game better than the Americans who kind of will struggle to adjust because they're too focused on the NBA side of things? I think their egos in check. Yeah. In America, it's all about we're the best. And that's preceded before you even get on the court. There's a bit of arrogance walking in the door. It's arrogance. And there's a a big line between confidence and arrogance. Mm, Right? And I think that, I hate to say it. I mean, well, like Joel says, I'm an Aussie now. I've been an Aussie since 2011. I'm a dual citizen, 100%. Yeah. But... I came over with the same arrogance, like this is this is this is America's game. And my first year out here, I averaged eleven points. Thought I was gonna come out here and just tear it up, man. Whatever. I was just gonna dunk at everybody. Yeah. The Australians, they gave it to me. Chris Clarkson, I remember um Peter Issett, you know, just you go on down the line of all the great um, people like Scott Lloyd and Scotty Lloyd. Yeah, Scotty Lloyd. I mean, my first year out here, I was considered a joke Damn. because I said I was gonna what I was gonna do, and I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't bust a grape. I couldn't hit the ocean if I was standing on the beach. You <laughs> so know what I mean? So you think that was directly tied to the arrogance that you maybe carried into go like coming over here? Yeah, because yeah. Americans don't know anything outside of America. They just focus on America. Anything that's going on in America, that's what's going on. Yeah. And then when they get outside of America, oh my gosh, it's not like America. You know, they actually take trips expecting everything to be like America. So when I came over here, I thought actually I thought Australia was a third world country. Oh wow! I I got quoted in a newspaper saying that I'm so embarrassed. Oof. That's how little Americans know about any other country but their own. To they can't fair, even tell you about their own states, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I feel like from North American perspective. Just as far as Australia goes, like when I thought of Australia when I was younger, the first person I thought of, fair or unfair, was Steve Irwin and that whole (laughs) dynamic, right? Of like, you know, there's crocodiles and snakes and spiders and all that shit everywhere. So that was, that's a very like dramatic version. It's a broad uh, spectrum. That's a dramatic version of Australia that is very unrealistic for most people. Like yep. hey, there's plenty of spiders and stuff. No, there is. We're sitting right now, but yeah. But you yeah. don't. Yeah, they're scared of you. It's not like they're coming into your bedroom and be like, "All right, we got him. We're yeah. gonna bite him now." Yeah. He's not expecting it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so it was a bit dramatic. And then you come over here. I sort of had. I didn't think it was a third world country, but I wasn't sure what to expect when I came over. And then I came to realize it's an absolutely wonderful country. And I mean, it's the best country on earth. Whether it's the people, Amen. the people are exceedingly friendly. Yep. Um, very similar to Canadians, except Canadians are a little bit more reserved. 
Like yeah. we're, we'll be friendly to anybody. Like we'll give you the shirt off our back for the most part. They're still assholes. Um, <laughs> but you can find assholes here. It's just very few and exactly. far between. Exactly. Um, so yeah, uh, the, the whole American, I was going to ask you about that. You answered the question coming over here. Did you have any preconceived notions besides like, you know, I'm going to crush everybody in basketball that were qu- quickly dispelled when you got here? Well, because I had traveled a lot being a military kid, right. um, I didn't have any preconceived ideas. I just had a thought of how I was going to impact Australia and the basketball and everything like that. Sure. And uh, But I just wasn't uh, living, re- living in really reality of how international basketball was. And I think because I saw the dream team go over and crush other countries, and I'm thinking, Whoa, Boy, I'm gonna go over there and just yeah. which was funny because we won a national championship and Australia was the only place that I could get into. I had a lot of I had an agent at the beginning, but I was really short on basketball. When I came out of college, I was a great rebounder. I could mm. set screens, I was a good hustle person, I could shut people down on defense, but offensively I was a bit short. Okay. So my agent trying to get me anywhere else, people could see the coaches that were on the international level could see, yeah, he's a good athlete, but we need somebody that can actually do better and, yeah. ra- and raise the the level of the program. So I got into Australia and I failed there. So mm. that was a good indicator of where I was at as a basketball player. Okay. So we'll touch a little bit more on the, uh, the tryouts you had with the Mavericks. So that was in 1999, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so you mentioned, you know, the Dirk Nowitzki, Steve Nash, Michael Finley, Sean Bradley. Um, first question was making the NBA at that time or leading up to the tryouts, was that your dream? Of course, that was my dream. Yeah. Um, going through the USBL, um, playing the Pacific League, everything before that was leading up to that. Mm. And um, it just sort of happened on an accident, actually, because I played the summer league with Master P. And then uh, this guy named George Fox, who was an agent for the NBA, right. um, saw me. Mm. And so he flew me out to... Um, Dallas, yeah, and um, I stayed with a, a really rich family, the Umlins, and um, next thing you know, I'm trying out, and we're playing scrimmages, and it was amazing because yeah. we they played 20 minute quarters. Wow, that was crazy. I'd never done anything like that. So they put 20 minutes up. I'm thinking this is the first half, <laughs> the first quarter. <laughs> they wow. played the first quarter, and if you're not full court pressing, they're God thinking, damn. "Oh, you're not in shape, Michael." No, I'm in shape. I'm just breathing like I just got out of you know, like I. <laughs> You know, I'm breathing like anything. So, um, and I did well. Yeah. I did well. I, I did better than I ever did. But what they noticed was I showed up two hours before the training and I was just shooting my threes and getting my getting myself acclimated. And I noticed Steve Nash showed up at the same time. So whatever he was doing, I wanted to do. And then he noticed that, oh man, you show up two hours too. And then we started yeah. shooting together. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, man, I'm warming up with Steve Nash. You know what I mean? Yeah. Playing with that guy was amazing. All you had to do was run the lane. Yeah. He like he had eyes like a like a fly. You <laughs> know, a right. fly has like 50 million eyes. He's awesome. Dude, you could be looking that way, make a make a pass, boom, and he'd hit you. All you had to do was run the lane. It was amazing to play with him. Yeah, I can only imagine. Like that guy knew how to like are you familiar with ice hockey much? In like uh I'm I'm from I'm familiar that it's a very brutal league. It can be. You <laughs> yeah. familiar with Wayne Gretzky? Yes. Yeah. Of course. So I feel like Steve Nash wasn't like Wayne Gretzky's considered the greatest NHL and ice hockey player of all time by most people. Yeah. Putting Steve Nash in the same category is pretty lofty. But as far as reading the game five, six, seven steps ahead, it's hard to find someone who didn't do that better than Nash. And I'll tell you what, Nash earned that. I'll tell you what, 
in 96 and 97, he was getting booed at yeah. Dallas Mavericks. Every time they gave him the ball, the home crowd was booing him. Damn. That's because they didn't think he was living up to his potential. For him to come back off of that and win two MVPs back to back, that shows you what kind of player he was. Yeah, I mean, um, playing with Nash, yeah, he just, like he's said this many times, is like he just wanted to make everybody else better and make their life easier by feeding them the ball in the right spots and paying attention. What is interesting about Nash is that earlier in his career, before the MVPs, like through his whole career, he was an excellent shooter. If you put him in the NBA now, He'd be shooting the like he shot the lights out during his career then, but he's comparable to like Stephen Curry in terms of shooting efficiency yeah. and vo- uh, well not quite volume, but um, Nash was a little bit ahead of his time in a way, and that's what's funny about his career is like he could have been not that like he had an excellent career obviously, but if he was dropped in the NBA now, he would be unbelievable, especially shooting. They'd tell him to shoot more. He was almost unselfish to a fault. Yeah, he started out as a soccer player too. That's right. So I figure that gives him his team concept. Yeah. Because in in soccer, you're using all your players, you're using everybody to use their individual talents, yeah. and that's what he was good at. I believe his brother John played in England, or his dad, or yeah, he's got soccer in his blood, in his family. Yep. Um. So was there anybody in the tryouts? You mentioned earlier that Michael Finley had a pretty nasty dunk. Um, nasty. And that, that shut down the terrible. gym. It gave me nightmares. <laughs> it sounds like it. Uh, was there anyone who stood out overall? Or Eric you- Strickland. Okay. Now, if you remember Eric Strickland, he used to play for the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. Then he came, like, I had never, I'd seen Eric Strickland. He was absolutely jacked. <laughs> he took off his shirt. I thought I was jacked. I took off my shirt. I was like, "There, he took yeah. his shirt off. I put my shirt right back on. <laughs> Humbled real fast. He was, and dude, he caught, I remember one time Steve Nash threw a, a lob half by at half court. He just rose up and just dunked it. Mm. Put his feet up through the rim and everything. I was like, yeah, I'm not supposed to be at this level. Mm. <laughs> That's crazy. I, I said, this, this is what separates the boys from the men. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously, you would have played or seen or whatever, been around Dirk Nowitzki. Do you feel like at that time he was clearly head and shoulders above everyone else in, on that team? Or was it like Steve Nash, Michael Finley? He was the early, the later version of Bird. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Humble. I remember I was guarding him. He was slow, too. I'm like, everything he did was slow. And I'm thinking, I'm going to steal it. Nope. I'm going to steal it. Nope. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stop his shot. There's nothing you could do with him because he was really methodical. But the mm. best part about him was he was fundamentally sound. Yeah, he didn't put a foot wrong, and uh, and he was six. What he was seven foot, seven six foot, eleven, yeah. seven foot. Yeah, he was, was really he was really like six ten, six eleven. I mean, his hair made honest. him look taller. Yeah, yeah, but he was humble. Yeah, and I remember like he would get an and one and go and go yeah in your face. He would get an and one, go to the free throw line, make two free throws or mm. what a free throw and. Keep playing. I respected that. You know, what's funny about that is that sounds like, so that was early days. He, I mean, he was generally humble, but he did get a little bit of, not arrogance, but a lot of confidence, obviously, over time. He's mentioned before that he grew, like he started listening to hip hop and he got very, he he, uh, uh, submerged himself in the American culture and that kind of grew him, like he became an adult in America. And then that's where when he won in 2011, that was probably at the peak of Dirk where he was confident. He wasn't he wasn't, you know, yelling in people's faces like you said, he's still humble, but he was a trash talker to the to the tenth degree. 
Yeah. And I think that was the, that's sort of the American influence that he got coming over from Germany. Um, yeah, but it was tongue in cheek. Yeah. It wasn't anything that was offensive. Yeah. It was just something that would make you think. You'd have to think about what he said later. Like, oh my gosh, he totally got me. <laughs> 15 minutes later, you know? Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk about refereeing, shall we? Um, so you, like you said, you started refereeing a handful of years ago and when you started, so what was the initial thing that want, like, why did you get into refereeing? It was just a social thing. Okay. I just did it for like everybody else. I just wanted to make a, a little bit extra money. And then I saw the response of players and, and how they liked that I was refing. And then I saw I'm competitive and I saw the under 18s, uh, rep, you know, and under 16s and how they got to ref all the best players. And I was like. I'm going to try that. And right immediately when I said I want to go out for that, some of the older referees that hadn't made it, that were not even given the opportunity, said, Mike, you're too old. They're not even going to look at you. How old are you now, Mike? You're, you're 47. They're not even going to look at you. I was like, they're going to look at me. They're going to look at me. I yeah. trust that. Yeah. And so I went out there. I held my hand up. And the first person that helped me was Carl Roberts. The second person that helped me was Michael Wiggins. Okay. And I'll forever be like endeared to Michael Wiggins because Michael Wiggins gave me a tough love. Yeah. If you know Michael Wiggins, he has no gray area. I don't think Mike, I don't think uh, Mackenzie's had any run ins <laughs> with Little Mick, but no. I certainly have over the years in my career playing at BBI. Yes. Yeah. Michael. There's a, there's a, 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 a bit of a fine line between Mike and I, but he, he, he's, he knows his shit. Simple as that. But you said there's no gray area with him? There's like no you, gray area uh, with him. There's the shooter. right way to ref and then there's wrong way to ref. Okay. And he really took me under his wing. He literally watched every game and after every quarter, he'd be like, come here, come here. Yeah. Now, why would you do that? And why would you do that? And I would love that because I had hard coaches all my life. Yeah. If you don't have a coach that's going to tell you the truth, they don't care about you. Yeah. They care about you caring about them. Michael Wiggins didn't care if I cared about him. He cared that I ref the game. I do what's right by the game. Yeah. And that's what Michael Wiggins is all about. So do you think he like he would do that for or do you think he would do that for everybody or he saw that you gave a shit and so he was extra, I guess, hard on you, but in a good way? That's a you asked some really good questions. I, 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 I'm loving this interview. Um, I think that he tested me. Yeah. He was really hard on me at the beginning because he wanted to see if I thought if I was entitled because of everything I did in basketball and I, I, I was who I thought I was. He wanted to see if I was going to bring a bad attitude and like I just expect to do this and expect to do that. So I think he tried to break me mm. for a little bit to see okay. what my passion was about refereeing. Then when he saw, like, I was showing up every day. I ref like seven days a week. I was there. I took all of his instructions and I think after a while, he was just how I knew that he knew I arrived because I didn't see him at my games anymore. He was oh. like, you got it. You got it. I, yeah. I can see you. Have Trading it. wheels are off. Here you go. Yep. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it sounds like you exceeded his expectations. I love that guy, man. Yeah. I would do anything for Michael. That's awesome. So Michael sort of uh, gave you your like he helped build up how you feel about refereeing overall. And he like painted the picture for you. When you went into refing, did you have any? Well, I'll use it again, preconceived notions about how you should or shouldn't or maybe that you did. Okay, here's a question. Did you fear that players would come at you all the time and like you'd be the target of, you know what I mean, slander? Because I think refs get a lot of disrespect. Well, I, I came in with a campaign. Okay. And the reason why I came in with a campaign because I knew, well, it's funny. 
I was refing my first under 16s uh, classics, yep. and this young kid came up like, effing this and effing that. And one of the one of the kids pulled him aside and said, hey, shut up, man. He's a he's an MMA fighter. Shut Ooh. up. He said, do you know who you're talking to? And I'm not even a mean person, right? Yeah. So after the game, the kid came over and said, sir, I am so sorry. Don't beat me up. I just, <laughs> I don't, I'm, I don't even know what to say. And I, and I just took him. I said, listen, I said, I'm not a bully. I said, I'm here to make you better. Mm. And I can't, I'm not going to say his name because, you know, that'll probably embarrass him. But that's okay. That is what endears players to me because they can understand that I played the game. They understand where I've been. Yeah. And they understand where I want them to go. Yeah. That's it. I'm all about giving back to the game. There's givers and there's takers. That's fantastic. I've, I've received enough out of this game. I don't need any more. I want to see young players, young women, young men reach the heights. Yeah. Because basketball is not life, but it is a desire. And I want them to be able to look back and know that they did the best they could and that I did the best that I could for them. Excellent. Yeah. I was going to say, I think you said on the Cross Factor podcast that basketball can be a microcosm of life or it's like life boiled down in a way. And I totally agree with that. There's so many lessons to be learned within the game. And I mean, I owe a lot to the game, even though it's just a sport. It's led me to meet all these great people in Australia and it's brought me together with so many of my friends and giving back to the game that's given you so much or any of us, I think is actually a really good uh, piece of advice. Well, so if, I, that. if I want to get to know somebody, I'll, I'll meet up with them and they'll say, hey, well, let's play a basketball game. And then that's I'll right. watch them. I'll watch their mannerisms. I'll mm. watch their attitude. How they play the game is how they live their life. That's they so can't true. help themselves. That's so true. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're applying, yeah, you're applying your personality. I mean, it applies itself to the game. And then also maybe your influences, how you were raised, et cetera. That's a very interesting Because your instincts yeah. are raw. Yeah. You can't help yourself. So you, yeah. however you are in a basketball game, I sit back and watch you. Yeah. So you have a lot of obviously, so you have a, a long history with the game. You've played it. You've done some coaching. You've done all sorts of stuff. You've been all over the world with the game. And so I think your perspective is important because it's, first of all, it's very mature. And I bring this up Thank because you. I think there's a lot of young men and women who want to become referees, but with, they don't have the experience. Um, but the reason I bring this up is because I want to try to get to the nitty gritty of maybe what's some entry level advice, but very strong advice you might give to a, uh, a potential referee. Like let's say someone who's, I don't know, 21, yep. impressionable. Uh, maybe they've even given some games, some, they've refereed some games and they've had a hard time. They're not dealing with the stress of being confronted by players all the time, yep. like Joel. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what kind of advice might you offer to those people? Well, Josh Tuetta, he plays for The Rip. Um, he plays for the Phoenix now. Sure. Um, he has a brother named Isaiah Tuetta. We call okay. him Izzy Tuetta, the Tuetta brothers. He was on the Cross uh, podcast about a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things he said was, if he had to get a message across to any of the upcoming referees, our tone and how we talk about you or talk to you is not how we feel about you. Basketball is an emotional game. Absolutely. We're trying to get a win. We're yeah. trying to play the best we can. Talking to referees, it's sort of like a political thing as well, right? You talk to people and Definitely. see what, you know, but there's a way to do it. And when he said that, I was like, 
That's what I want to get across to young referees. How a basketball player comes across in his tone is not how he how he feels or she feels about you. So essentially, I mean, it's a lot more depth to this, but try not to take things personally. Yeah, it's not when, a personal yeah, thing. Yeah. We don't even know half the refs. I think exactly, and they don't know us. So yeah. it's it's both ways for sure. Yep. So I'll bring you in on this one, Joel. So with refereeing, um, I'm curious to hear what you think because, like, I guess it gets a little bit like insulated from other perspectives. Like, but you've played at Wizards, you've played at obviously BBI where we play now mostly, probably some other leagues. I'm not thinking of. You've seen a whole breadth of referee types and personality types. We're not going to name names. There's some pretty terrible referees out there who are too stubborn to admit it or change to improve. A lot of them are older gentlemen. Um, maybe I'm not thinking of any females. It doesn't matter. But what do you think, what would be your uh, perspective on ways that referees, young or middle-aged, because it's hard to change someone who's stuck in their ways, like the older refs. How do you think is the way to approach referees in general? Like Mike calls it a bit of a political situation. Do you think being political is the way to go about it? Or like, what's your perspective? I've had a bad uh, rep for a long time, especially at Wizards when I was younger. There's a lot of guys that are still refereeing or playing or, or we played against that, you know, I was a young little smartass. I thought I knew everything. I thought I could do everything and I couldn't. Uh, again, that comes with age and humbleness and, and growing up and realizing what's about and, and all that kind of stuff. But oh, I guess my only advice to younger referees, and it's part of the reason now, like when I coach my kids on Saturdays, um, you know, some of the things that they have to remember, especially these, we're talking about 14 or 15 year old boys here or 15 year old girls. Um, a lot of them don't have a lot of confidence. They're scared out of their minds. Mm. Don't be afraid. Just because you're a 16-year-old female, you're refereeing grown men, if you can't handle that type of emotion in the game, then start lower and kind of work your way up. That's the same as what we did when we were younger. We started down and we kind of worked our way up to where we wanted to be or could be. Same situation. Um, Another thing, because I used to work in customer support for Apple, and uh, one thing that I noticed is that when you're behind, like metaphorically behind a desk... um, you get treated like trash because there's a there's almost a delineation that I can treat you that way because you represent a company I don't like. Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying is I think there's a line where one side, so the referees in this situation are the, obviously the customer support, they're behind, like they're wearing the jersey and they're representing something that the person who feels wrong doesn't like. So then that gives them, we talked about rationalizing before, we rationalize that we can just abuse them. And I don't like to abuse anybody in any walk of life, even if maybe they deserve it, which rarely they do. Um, And referees certainly don't. So at the same time, it's emotional. And I think referees, if you can, it's not easy. You kind of need to leave room for emotion. Because otherwise, uh, this is a problem in the NBA. Yep. Not to circle back to the NBA. (laughs) Um, But in the NBA, there's a lot of like, they're trying to cut the emotion out. So they're teching everybody up for everything. Yep. It's like, oh, I f- if you flip the ball to the referee too hard. Oh, like Luca. Yeah. yeah. And then, like maybe he did, maybe he didn't. He caught the ref off guard. That's, to me, that's on Luca to pay attention and not do that. But at the end of the day, he was probably a bit emotional, whatever happened. It yep. doesn't matter. But there needs to be a bit of room for emotion in the game. Otherwise, it starts to become too robotic 
and it doesn't feel like an escape, I guess, because a lot of times basketball, going to play basketball with your mates is an escape. Yep. Maybe you're having a hard day or yep. whatever. Yep. And sometimes, yeah, we use that game to get emotional. And sometimes it spills over, not to name names, but there's some people who definitely go overboard often. Yep. And that's unfortunate. But my point is, I think refs do need to, it's a lot of responsibility. They need to allow room for emotion, but also they do need to take a line where you're being disrespectful, you've crossed the line, here's a tech, or yep. whatever you need to do to, to, to uh, simmer things down. Well, I feel there's, there's a myriad of responses that I could have to that. But Go ahead. as a referee, what I've learned over the over the years is sometimes you just need to let people vent. Now, they need to re, they need to vent respectfully, right? So, so a lot of times they'll just come over and they'll just give me a spray and I'll just be like, hmm. And then after I like, do you feel better? That's good. <laughs> and That's they'll be rare. They'll, they'll just look at me like, Mike, man. And then we could talk about the issue, but it might not be able to be talked about within that one minute when the shoot, shooting free throws or whatever. So I let them have their say. And then they want to respond. But we're, we're playing. I'll get right back to you at, at another break. And I do. That's great. By that time, they know I've listened to them. And then I come back with my response to them. And Joel's seen that uh, when I did uh, a Maruchidor tournament with mm. a particular player. That's how we. That's you, yeah. You yeah, told we me that story. Keep before. going. Sorry. I'll, I'll, no, no. That's 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 fine. And then that's how you um, ingratiate yourself to or endear yourself to other players because they know that you're going to listen. A lot of times, people just want to be heard. Yeah. And a lot of times, right. referees. Oh my gosh! Here he comes! Here he comes! Put up a wall. Yeah. Now, if you do that to somebody my size, because that's what happened when I was playing. I was the biggest asshole when I played basketball because I came from America. I thought I was entitled. I have a right to say whatever. I saw coaches doing it. I saw all the players that were, you know, came before me. They did it. Yeah. So now it's my turn. Then as a referee, it automatically made sense. I wanted to be heard. Yeah. I wanted to be able to say what I want to say as long as I'm respectful they let they let it happen. Okay. So to that point, now that I think of it, like one of the major things is if if you're a female ref, and especially if you're younger, but it doesn't age isn't necessarily the biggest factor in this. If you're approached by a big, you could be like six foot plus, yep, tatted up, yep. or even not six foot, but just an intimidating looking male yep. who's angry, I don't blame any of them for getting extremely defensive. That's just almost human nature. Yep. You feel threatened, like yep. literally physically threatened. So as much as I want this conversation to be, and everything you said so far, and you as well, Joel, extremely valid information, I think more people should take on board as potential refs. I think it's important to have the conversation about the players definitely being, try to be self-aware of what your image is when you're running, like walking very quickly towards somebody. Yep. In real life, forget on the basketball court. If you just walk up to someone looking menacing, what do you think the reaction is going to be? Yeah. Now, again, it's an emotional game. The chance of 100% of players immediately going, oh, I look intimidating. Let me tone it down mm -hmm. after they just you know, missed a jump shot and then got called for a questionable foul. I don't expect most players to take into account that they look intimidating at that very moment in time. Yep. yep. But I'd like them to think about it so that they go into the games with a little bit less. Like, you can take your emotion out, but again, as much as the refs shouldn't take it personally, the players shouldn't take the bad calls personally, and they shouldn't take 
well, they shouldn't be making excuses like it's the ref's fault we're losing, whatever, taking that personally. So I think Yeah, it's, Joe. It's never the ref's fault. Is yeah, it, Joel? Joel. It's on the it's on the players <laughs> nearly as much as it's on the refs. Uh, I love that. That's yeah. how I feel. So um we'll talk a little bit about where referees like abusing a ref versus how much responsibility should be taken on by players and teams. So just before we started rolling, we were having a bit of a discussion about that. But Mike, you feel like at the end of the day, a team and the players should take full responsibility for wins and losses. Is that right? Absolutely. 100%. Accountability is, is lacking these days. I feel like everything is everybody else's fault, but the team's, that's and a life thing. Until yeah. they start taking responsibility for themselves, you can never really really be a champion. So I totally agree with that. And especially where, and we were just saying this, if you lose a game, let's say by two points, the reason you lost basically 99%, if not 100% of the time, the reason you lost that game is the totality of mistakes you made added up to a loss. Because the numbers don't lie. The, the math is that you didn't make this shot. You didn't make 17 shots in the fourth quarter. You lost by one. If you made one more shot, maybe you win. That's how math works. That's mm-hmm. how the game works. Yep. I will say, though, with accountability, that also should be... Refs need to be accountable. Now, I'm assuming the best refs do hold each other accountable. I definitely assume that you hold yourself accountable and maybe other people that you're, you have under your wing in terms of refereeing. In my experience, and Joel, maybe you agree, disagree, I've seen a lot of refs that get away with murder and it's not held accountable. And it's on video. And then it goes to a tribunal and nothing happens. And I don't know if that's the politics, bureaucracy within that. I don't want to go too deep into this because it's a little bit spicy. But (laughs) my point is accountability has to be everybody. And it feels like, I'm happy to be wrong, it feels like accountability is... It, it's more lenient with referees for some reason. That's a player's perspective, by the way. Joel, you go ahead. Well, I can say it from uh, the two different perspectives. The first, as a player, like I was saying before, I was a hothead. I thought I knew everything. You I were. Thought, uh, you still are. I'm What's changed? Calm down a lot. <laughs> no, you Just have. You're like right. you've said about way, the way you were a decade ago. Yeah. Take me back ten years. Yeah. There's I'd a lot of people. Dave yeah. Miller. Uh, JT, all those guys have seen yeah. me when I was young and thought I knew everything. And it's I, I've come a long way, believe it. Or not. But again, yeah. unfortunately, that reputation doesn't leave some people's minds and that's just unfortunate. And yeah, I even told you, I think, when you come on board with the Kings, I said, unfortunately, I've had a bit of a reputation when I was younger. Was one of the and first unfortunately, you yeah. some people hold grudges and they take it out on you because you wear the purple and white and black. It's yeah. it's one. It's something I even spoke to you about, but you took a different approach to it, Michael. Unfortunately, some people don't like me. They don't like the way that... I've done things or do things or the way that I've gone about my business as such. And unfortunately it comes back to bite you in different ways sometimes. And the way that you adjust or, or do or go about it is on you as an individual that, but I've made it clear across the board everywhere that I've played and everywhere that we play as a club don't take things personally or, and I've even mentioned to referees don't take your personal vendetta or problem that you've had with me, whether it was 12 months, 10 years ago, out on my guys or our guys, because majority of them are just there to play basketball and enjoy it for their 
you know, the veterans guys, yeah, they're grumpy old men, most of them, but they're just there to get out of the house away from their wives and kids and jobs. Mm -hmm. And they've been playing basketball since they were 15, 10 years old. They're 45, 50 year old men, some of them. There's a couple of guys that are playing Thursday vets that have a quite high cue for the game, but they're grumpy old men. That's just the way that they are. It is what it is. But the biggest light bulb moment, and you'll like this, Eric, for your editing, was uh, uh, the Australia Day final last year. So it wasn't this year, it was last year. It was this uh, young player from uh, the Rusty Trombones, talented young man, uh, just... Batesy was murdering him. He was bigger and stronger, but this kid was more athletic and had a hell of a lot more talent than what Batesy does right at this point in time. And he was just – he was slapping the hell out of Bates and Bates was just going the free throw line and making free throws. He was making M1s. I think he had four in that entire game. And it got towards a point where he was just so frustrated and angry and he went at Mike, went at the other referee and then went at Mike – and Mike, again, he stood there and copped it. And then he went again. And then I'll never forget the young fella turned around. And Mike said to him, are you okay? You finished? He's like, no, no. I said, right, first of all, don't come at me like that. Don't disrespect me and don't act a fool like being silly. Second of all, you're getting beat because this guy is bigger than you and stronger than you and you're not adjusting. You're not doing the right thing. So first of all, he let him vent. Second of all... He said, don't disrespect me and don't disrespect what's going on. Then he gave the kid pointers and how about what was going on in the game. And then the fourth thing is you told him, instead of him using his body and his length, get around in front of him and try and stop the ball when, we, when we're going into him in the post. Yep. Adjust and make adjustments and see what you can do. Wow. And sure enough, he did that and managed to get a steal off Batesy and they ended up getting the store. Unlucky for them, we were up by 10 or 12 at that point yep. in time. But the he adjusted. Yeah. So that was a light bulb moment for me. And that was when I kind of just went, wow. Yeah. Why isn't more officials and more people like this man? And that's why I approached Mike to come and do this thing because that was four ticks. How can you ask more from a person, an official, a person, a referee, a a coach, or as a human that someone could do that. Everyone has their own faults. Everyone has their own, backgrounds and and you know the way that they were they are everyone's got a history but yeah. for right now and what we needed was someone like mike and it's rolled on effect there's a lot of guys that are playing for us now that will never play for us because they know mike yeah right. there's guys contacting him now That's from excellent. overseas that want to come and play over here because of what we are doing yeah. as a community as a club but for who he is and the way that he is and what he brings to something like this. Mind it's, you, they might think of, if Mike can make a shoot, I can make a shoot. Yeah. He was terrible in college. <laughs> <laughs> whatever whatever the reasoning Surely and whatever the situation. No, I was but. all right. I was all right. But another thing, when as a referee, I know people are looking at me how I'm going to respond because they know I was a fighter back in the day. They know I was hostile back, th- back in the day, that I was very passionate. So when those situations happen – A lot of times I just sort of say, okay, this is an opportunity to show a different side of me, a different side of refereeing, and that I'm representing the future of refereeing. It is inspiring. Like, I haven't seen a specific instance. I wish I could have witnessed that. I'm sure if I hang around enough, I'll see something like that where you basically dig into something where, like, 
it's almost like you're 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 nurturing something that needed nurturing at that very moment in time, whatever it is, whether it's advice on how to deal with Batesy in the post or if it's defending on the perimeter, whatever it may be. That sort of advice and that responsibility is on the referees, but it's also it's a, it's an ideal state. And I don't know if a lot of people are there yet, but it, this is important to talk about because I think it's a you're definitely a role model for for referees. And I, I think if people that. are willing to listen, if they're willing to listen and adapt and the theme of a big theme that we've talked about today is adjust. That's yeah. a life thing, not just basketball. It's about adjustments. If you can adjust and you can improve yourself and you care to improve, take on board what Mike is saying, what Joel is saying, and you'll be a better referee and obviously a better player too in turn um, if you're on the other side of it. Okay, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the Comeback Kings Club, uh, a suite of different teams. I don't know how many teams you have total, but there's a lot. I counted it the other day. It's up to 17, I think it was. Jesus. I think it's 17. Uh, just over 155 men, not including the kids. And across a bunch of different divisions and uh, different, different sections of Brisbane. Yep. Well um, done, because that's not easy to do. Starting that's club. a lot. Five is a lot. Good on you, Joel. 17. Like, obviously you have help, but I don't feel like you have... Like, it seems like you have a lot on your plate, so I respect your work. Um, But let's talk a little bit about sort of... I guess, I don't know, have you ever had the chance to give the background story on it? Leading up to today? First of all, thank you to my wife and my children for putting up with my nonsense (laughs) for the last seven or eight years. It has been a rough trot. We've been through ups and downs, but she knows my goals and what we would like to do and what I would like to do. Um... But yeah, basically started out 2016, I think it was, um, just before my son was born. Sorry, our son was born. Um, I wanted to get back into playing basketball. I reached into, out to a few of friends of mine that I'd grow up playing with or against over the years. Um, uh, they basically said, yeah, come down, watch, blah, blah, blah. So I came down three nights out of the week. My wife's like, what are you doing? I'm eight months pregnant. Like, this can't be happening. What's going on? Sure enough, uh, they just said, look, we don't have the space right now. So I went, bugger this, I'm going to go and do it myself. So I reached out to a whole bunch of guys that I used to play with. Um, There's probably only one original player from uh, way back then that's still kind of kicking around right now. Who's Um, that? uh, Phil Rogers? Jared Smales is is original. Wow, okay. So he's one of the originals. He's playing with Phil and Brick City now, but um, he's one of the originals. He's probably the only one that's still around. Um, Yeah, so I basically reached out to a whole bunch of guys that I'd used to played with or played against, got a team of guys, uh, Daniel Lubke, uh, who has got his side little kick with his jerseys. He said, I can hook us all up with a uniform. Sweet, sounds good. Uh, What do you want to be called? We're like, we have no idea. Uh, We said, oh, well, we're all making a comeback. Why don't we call? I think one of them, I can't remember who it was. Someone suggested the comeback and then we really liked the Sacramento Kings uniforms. This was back when they were still wearing Adidas. So that was, you know, eight years ago or something now. Really liked them and no one had kind of gone with the whole purple color theme at Wizards apart from Deegan maybe. Um, And we just ran with it. One turned into two, turned into four, into eight. Within literally 12 months, I had eight teams before I could blink an eye. And then eight went to 11 about two years ago. So it's about four seasons ago. I knew I wanted a Monday night Premier League team at Wizards. It took a little while to get there. Eventually thought I got a bunch of guys together. We could compete. 
our first season in the Premier League, we started in Div 2 because they didn't want us to play Div 1 because they didn't think we were good enough. We absolutely wiped the floor. I think we lost one game the whole year. Moved into Division 1. We had a bit of a off-rough season that first season in, in Div 1. Um, I think we finished fourth, made the finals, and then got bounced by a very good Raptors team. Uh, the second season, I brought in a Monday night Div 2 team, so we were 1 and 2. Um, we didn't do well at all. Had a few guys leave and multiple situations, right rah, rah, rah. But this past season, um, getting a few young guys on board who um, playing representative basketball for their state and clubs and stuff, um, the boys won the division, Division 1. Um, division 2 finished fourth. Um, that's Premier League. And then uh, this season, current now, they're undefeated. They're 13-0. I think they've had two draws um, but haven't lost a game. That's how you do it. Um, unfortunately, yeah. Div 2 have been very up and down with players in and out this year, unfortunately. But that's okay. We'll uh, re-up for next season um, in a month's time and we'll go again. But, yeah, basically just built it once we moved um, out to Hattonvale. I knew that I was going to have to move clubs because it was just too far away. Um, basically, the guys at Wizards kind of manage themselves to a degree. Um, I manage a lot more, obviously, at, at, at BBI. And, yeah, I knew I wanted a, a, a GBL team. Um, it's the highest league in Brisbane that we have to offer before the NBL 1. That's obviously a goal, too. We can always put a team in an NBL 1. Um, That's what I'm about. So we can do it because it, it can be done. Uh, so, yeah, basically that's how it started. Um, going back on to how I met Mike and getting him on board for GBL Gold. Yeah, and just bringing in good guys, good players, that guys that want to be a part of something and want to, whether you want to play GBO or whether you want to play Vets on a Wednesday or a Thursday night, we've got a spot for you across the board. It doesn't matter if you play Division Three with guys you played with for 12 months or guys that you've never taken the floor with that you've played under 18 rep, for example, and you want to work your way into a Division One team or a GBO team. We've got a spot for you in some capacity. Yeah, I was going to say, um, first of all, it's very grassroots, and I, res I respect that a lot. It's very cool to watch how it's grown. Even when I started, there was probably like three, four teams. When I joined, first started playing at um, South Pine Sports Complex. Oh, uh, Brendale, yeah. Brendale, yeah. And then a bit at Boondall at the uh, BEC. But um, yeah, it's progressed very nicely, and I'm, I'm happy for you. I also think you should give yourself some credit, because you weren't. it wasn't like word-of-mouth growth alone. I only met you because I wrote on a Brisbane Ballers Facebook page yep. looking to join a t like casual social basketball. You're like, hey, mate, come over here. Yep. And just plucked me out of out of the blue. Yep. I think you've plucked a lot of guys from that from Facebook in general. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So you've done your scouting. You've done the hard yards. Yep. And uh, I think you should give yourself a pat on the back for that. And Appreciate it. Maybe some others have, have pitched in, of course. Yeah. Sure. Um, so then now leading into uh, Mike has jumped in. How did you guys sort of meet and how have we led up to where we are now? Well, I won't go fully into depth, obviously, the what happened with the the, the Clippers uh, with the Australia Day tournament. But, yeah, basically I know I needed a a, uh, a coach for GBL Gold. I knew that I wasn't going to have the respect or the capacity on a greater scale of things to compete with these teams, the, the Dragons, the... Uh, the Vikings, the Highlanders, th those guys that have been around, the university teams that have been playing together for years. A lot yeah. of those guys have been playing together for years. 
So after, again, doing a bit of research on Mike and his background and his history, I basically started a conversation with him one day about getting on this podcast was example. Yep. And I just lent into it and uh, I said, look, Mike, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. Would you want to be a part of it? And, yeah, he grabbed it with both hands. He, there was no hesitation at all. I think the reason why is because for the last seven years, it's just been refing, refing, refing. And I was all about that. When I'm taking on a task, it's just, you know, I don't multitask. I just sort of focus on the one thing. But with anything that you just focus on the one thing, it can, it can rule your life. And so this came, this opportunity came across at a, at a very good time in my life because I had realized that I'm just refing. I'm not fighting anymore. I'm training, but I'm not fighting anymore. And I need to compete. And one of the things that people don't understand is refing is very competitive okay. because you're trying to get to the next level. There's some who do it for a social reason, some who do it for the money aspect, but there are some people who are trying to make it, trying to get their FIBA badges. Some people are trying to make it to the NBL. Some are, some people are just trying to make it to the NBL one, which I've already done. Yeah. But I needed to focus on something else, and it hadn't even occurred to me that I needed to focus on something else. So when he said something, do you want to coach? I was like, oh, my gosh. Got the juices flowing. I was like, <laughs> man, I'm going to take this and just go all the way with it. It, just, it wasn't even a thought. I said, yes, right away. You know. So. so do you feel like the refing, do you feel like you reached a height or you reached sort of a plateau where you felt that refing wasn't going to give you the same you weren't approaching it with the same vigor, so you were looking for something else. Not that at all. Okay. I was—I always have the same vigor because okay. I'm—I'm just all about it. But I wanted to continue my diversity ah. as a person. I've always been a very diverse. I don't just do one thing. You know, like I said, you know, I was a fighter. I've been a mentor. I've been a trainer. I've—I've I've been a referee. I've—I've I've been a youth worker. I've done a whole bunch of things that uh, sort of encapsulate who I am. Yeah. So that gave me an opportunity to now branch back out into the game of basketball. Instead of just refereeing, I can now coach. I see. I can be a mentor. I can sort of get back to what I was doing. That's cool. And so, um, I, I mean, it seems like it's all systems go, and I think things are going to go very well from this point, let alone in the next few months, whatever. What is the goal? We'll start with you, Joel. What is your goal for the next 12 months with uh, Comeback Kings? Broad spectrum. Yeah. I'd like to turn this into a full-time gig. That's my that's my dream, to be able to support my family where I could... Turn a profit. And, turn a, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily even call it turn a profit. That's a bit Make cheaper, enough yeah. to continue doing what we're doing, keep the wife happy, keep the kids happy, continue to keep doing what I'm doing. That means he's going to have to turn a profit. Yeah, but, well, <laughs> yeah, look... Let's be honest, if she does watch this and when she does watch this, if she doesn't say that she doesn't like the little holiday that we just had for Australia up the coast, she's lying to you. Mm. But, uh, you know, I've learned now to try and involve um, them in when I can, do them as much as I can, especially now with Lucas playing basketball as well. Um, He's obviously going to go back to soccer, but... It is what it is. Now, now that this has started, it's not going to change. So, in the, yeah, in the broad spectrum, turn it into a, a, a job. Gotcha. That's my full-time job. Uh, on a smaller scale is obviously just to be as successful as we can. The GBL, definitely, so we can continue. It's not a me, it's a we because you play, Mike coaches. It, it's a we thing with me. Like, you know, Phil helps out with the uniforms and everything at Wizards. Every single 
team has their own individual kind of person that kind of looks after the team on game days as such. Um, you know, we've got lots of uh, people who uh, guys have helped me out over the years getting uniforms, whatever it may be. That's my kind of mindset. It's not a me to us thing. Um, yeah, I might be the face of it, but it's certainly not an individual aspect. Um, but yeah, that's want to be successful across the board. Um, and basically just keep doing what we're doing to bringing in these guys and guys that know Mike, whether they're his dad, someone's dad knows Mike and wants to come over and play. If we can give anybody an opportunity, like I've got, I had a young fella approach me about a week ago, seeing these videos for some, in some aspect, he knows, doesn't know Mike personally, but I think his dad might. He just hit me up and I said, look, young fellow, no problems. Come in. He played his first game on Thursday night. He played Division One um, under-18s up at the Clippers. So I've never met this kid from a bar of soap. He paid his way, paid his fee. I got him a uniform, got him on court all within four days. Nice. So, And these come to these young guys just want to play, but they want to play for something. Yeah. And because what we're doing, they're like, oh, this is awesome. We got somewhere to go. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of things on that. Um, it does seem like the Kings thing is attractive because it's, there's at least a perception. I, it, there is definitely substance under this, under this, but there's a mission behind it. It yeah. seems like to, to involve people, like you said, and I definitely will say on your behalf, like you've never selfishly gone. This is my thing. Like one time on the podcast, I think I said, you know, you're the owner, et cetera. And you're like, calm down. I'm just the manager. Like you're very humble about it. And I respect that a lot. And one other thing I want to say that I like about the Kings, uh, well, it's part of the mission is that you're giving players and people like men and potentially women down the track. You're Hopefully giving them women. an opportunity. Fingers yeah, crossed. absolutely. There's a lot that want to play and be a part of something. Um, you're giving natural leaders the opportunity to lead teams and manage things. And that's actually giving them something maybe they don't have in their life, in their whatever their job is. Like maybe you're, uh, I don't know, an accountant or something. I don't know what everyone's vocation is, but you're giving them an outlet to something that they maybe have been seeking that they haven't had the chance to sink their teeth into. There's a lot of examples. Of that. I know off the top of my head, I can't think of one, but yep. there's many examples of that. And I'm, I'm happy that that's being given to those people. That means a lot to a lot of people. And those people are then making others better by giving what they can give. It's like a knock-on effect. Yeah. It's, and it's that's phenomenal. That's kind of, I guess, in the... Again, grand scheme of things, it's another way of looking at it, and it's good. It's uh, certainly something that I guess we can be prideful of ourselves as a it club. Should be that we can do that. And um, Mike's got big dreams and goals too that I'm all on board for. And to have somebody uh, like a Phil or a Mike, for example, who have strengths in their areas, it takes a lot of pressure off me. Absolutely. It takes a lot of responsibility off me, and if these guys are willing to help me and us, it's just so beneficial in the long term because that's how successful things happen. And, you know, having good people around, bringing good things, good things happen. It's human nature. It's a part of life. It's God's plan. It's yeah. it's whoever's plan. It's it when you have bring good people around and um, even Eric uh, bringing – someone like him involved when you have good people good things happen yeah um, i think i like the fact that if i'm coming coming on board to the comeback kings i'm reminding people of who they were before they gave up on their dreams 
I think that's very important. I think people... It's very powerful. Yeah, I think they settle in their life. Oh, okay, I only got this far. But we're actually, hey, if you had game back in the day, that means you still have it. Yeah. We just got to dust it off and bring it back out. That's all. That's what that's what we represent. Mike's brought at least two guys that I know that are playing GBL golf, for example, that did play at quite a high level a few years ago that for whatever reason kind of took a back seat but are now getting their feet wet as such. Yeah. We're yeah. winning a championship, by the way. Yeah. I'm well, just putting that out there. We 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 we'll competitive go. straight away. That's exactly what we wanted. Yeah. Is we are competitive in this league in gold and silver straight away. Yes, we're not winning games, but in the I'm trying to get this to Mike doesn't fully buy into my philosophy. Uh, we're competitive straight away, and that was my concern was coming in to this league, these leagues, with the positive mentality that we could compete straight away. But we don't ha- <clears throat> we don't have certain things that others don't yet. We will get there, and I'm a full believer in that, and that's another reason why I've backed Mike 100 percent in what his goals and what his plans and and his positive outcome and 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 uh, aura, I guess, is maybe the word to use. We're winning championships. So yeah, uh, we're competitive. <laughs> That's straight all away. I'm about. Yeah, we're we're competitive straight away, and that was you know we were competitive straight away at Wizards. We're competitive straight away at BBI. We're competitive in all the other divisions that we play in. That's what we want. Even the kids, my kids, they've started in Division Four. They're winning games. Those under nines, they won. That was. They were so excited winning yesterday. Like it's just the best thing. Yeah. And being able to these kids like everybody loves winning. Everybody loves winners. But exactly. you know, if it, it whether it's on any day of the week at any time, it brings joy to people. Um, but you know, yeah, there's a again, and there's a lot of people to 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 bring on board and thank for that too as well. Like, oh again, I'm I don't do it myself. My wife, my children, my mum. Um, a lot of friends and family over the years backing our sponsors, the guys, just guys who either run their own businesses or have pulled money out of their own pocket to help us. And then, yeah. you know, Mike's obviously got people who you back him that are hoping to help us in the grand scheme of things, do successful things and hopefully um, do something really big at the end of the year. I'll let Mike talk about that because that's his little baby. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's basically, you know, I'm thankful for everyone that's helped um, along the way, our sponsors, friends, family. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's it's, a, it's, it's awesome to yeah. see. And I was going to say, I, I want to let you speak, Mike, because it sounds like you've got a, a doozy. But uh, I feel like the Comeback <laughs> always, Kings... I always have a doozy. That's all you have. Yeah, all <laughs> yep. killer, no filler. That's it. Um, I feel like an analogy I'd use for Kings, and I try to... This maybe isn't perfect, but it seems like you're building the plane as you're flying it. Yeah. And you've got it like quite a before Mike ever entered the fray or even maybe a Phil Rogers entered the fray. You had a nice little plane. Yeah. It flies. It got off the ground. You know, the Wright brothers got their plane off the ground. Yeah. But then you bring in, as you said, people with new skill sets, new ideas, new energy, new auras to say what you said before. And it goes, okay, so you've got this plane, but what if we put some monster jet engines on this thing yeah or what if we what if we put in an autopilot system like i'm using an analogy here but it's things that you haven't even thought of because you're in the mix of trying to build other things you haven't even thought of or focused on so that bringing in the new perspectives that can only point upwards i believe especially if they're good people that want the best for every like as a team because 
I feel like it, it's important to be careful of people who don't want the best for Comeback Kings. They want the best. Like, what can I get out of it? There might be some of those people to be wary of, but it seems like the team, the, the leaders that matter are not like that. And that's, I think that's very important. Well, I think those two jet engines you're talking about are creativity and imagination. And if you can capture those, then people want to be a part of it. Because everybody wants to be bigger than uh, a part of something bigger than themselves. Yes. And so what I'm trying to do is give people uh, a view into what they can achieve, what they can be a part of. But you have to work for it. My main thing is if you're not if you're not ready to work for it, I don't even want to be a part of it. You have to be willing to put the work in because guarantee I'm going to work off the court harder than you will on the court mm. because I, I've been there. I know what it takes. A lot of these younger players, a lot of these families that are trying to get their uh, young people into a higher level, they're not understanding that. And you have to do the work first before yeah. you get paid. I mean, it's all relevant. So yeah. those imagination, creativity, we capture that, people will come. Yeah, mm. Mike's doing this on word at the moment. There's no monetary influence at all. I will admit, as you know, my little fee that I charge per year, that just, again, it basically keeps the wife and children happy. I don't see a lot of that if I'm brutally honest. And again, when you run a club, there's bills and invoices that have got to be paid. There's checks and balances that have got to happen. That, yeah. that, that, that little bit of money that you guys pay me a year doesn't go as far as what everyone thinks it does. I was yep. going to say when that came yep. into when that came into the For real. F- into the fray, I immediately thought when you when you said, "Hey, okay, so this year we're going to have to pay XYZ." I didn't have a problem with it at all. A majority of people are exactly like that, Mackenzie. Okay, well Why? that's good because of I thought it'd be the opposite. I had to kind of speaking with Nathan, speaking with Phil, speaking with those guys, if I want to turn it into a business and a and a uh, use it to, to to support. I had to change my mindset away That's from right. my passion and my drive and love for the game. I've got to get a little bit out of it. And again, it's a bit of a handshake agreement, I guess you could say, with Mike. I that's it's here in my mind. Like I haven't forgotten about it. Yeah. But his um, what he can bring to the party, I guess. What you, you go into a party, what Mike can bring to the party. He's giving up his time and his energy and his love and passion for the game at some point there has to be a an end goal yeah. that we want to achieve and you know there's got to be you know everyone's going to eat as mark says everyone's yeah. going to eat in the end and right now i'm on pittance mark's on nothing but we will get there in the end i believe that we can certainly get there because it's a and a lot of people are in totally in the same boat as you, more than happy because of what I can organize and what I try and run and make it as easy as possible on you guys that yeah. 48 hours, you get on your phone, you vote, yeah, I'm playing, no, I can't play for whatever reason. We have six, seven, eight guys on the floor. You guys pay your game fees, you've got your uniforms, all you got to do is have money in your bank. I tell you who you're playing, where you're playing, what time, where at. All you guys need to do is turn up and play, whether you're playing Division 1 and you want to go out there and bust ass or whether you're playing Division 4 and you just want to go out there and have a bit of fun and enjoy it and play the game that you either love or loved or whatever it may be. You're just getting involved. I try and make it as easy as possible because of the politics and some of the stuff that goes on in the background that a lot of guys, that guys have come to me from other clubs and other teams and said, man, I don't know how you do this shit. I don't know how you constantly do it. I've got one team or two teams. 
There's a guy who run a, runs a club, at, <laughs> a little mini club at Wizards, the Spoon, Sean. He's actually leaving, playing his team and just going to manage the boys because he wants to come and play with a successful wow. group. Yeah. And yeah. he wants to be a part of what we're doing and what we're building because the guys that he's got are playing at a lower division or they're just there for a bit of fun, a bit of fitness and the vets and da da da. He wants to – he's done that for two years. He wants to be a part of – a successful and I, I I'm telling him a joke and I made in front of him. I said, "You just want to become part of the winners, don't you?" Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "To be honest, yeah, I want to play a little bit of a, you know, I'm 42. I can still do little things. I'm not as fit as I once was, and I'm not going to go out there and give you 20 points, but I'll give you a couple of assists and some nice passes. Yeah. I'll get you four or five rebounds in a game and That's enjoy right. playing with good people who want to play good basketball." One of the things I wanted to, when he asked me to come across, is a lot of times when players come across who've done something, they make it all about themselves. And that's what I didn't want to do. That's why I'm doing the videos to highlight the players. That's why I'm doing the the coaching to make sure that you can reach the dream that I'm, um, I'm invested into your career and not anything about me. You know what I mean? My time is done. I've done what I want to do with basketball. Now I want to pass that on. And Joel and I sometimes differ in how – we make the players respect the game. Like I, I make all my players respect the refs. They're not allowed to say anything to the refs. Um, I wish more people would start there, to be honest. But sorry, I mean, didn't no, no, I, that that's part of the dialogue, right? Yeah. And and this venture has helped me to get to know Joel, and has actually opened the game up to me again. And these players that know me. I didn't even know I know them. I didn't know they. I didn't know they knew me. Mm. And then we show up to the trainings and things like that. So what I wanted to do is make sure that it's not about me. I want to give you the dream. I want to give you that ambition. I want to give you that love, that passion, yeah. so that you can. However, I can help you facilitate your dream. That's what I'm about. Because it's not about me anymore. It's about your future. It's about your kids' future. And that's what Comeback Kings. I want it. I want that to be it. You know, yeah, and the crux and, of it. And as passionate as I am, as you know personally, Mackenzie, Mike's probably twice as passionate as I yes! am. Yes, so definitely. Yeah, you know, there's, uh, and <laughs> you know, Mike comes across very full on sometimes, and he, he, but no, at the end of the day, what are you talking about? You haven't seen the conversations that go on some of the group chats. Mike has a goal and has a purpose and has so much passion and love for life and the game that some people don't see it the way that he does and they don't see it in the same light or aspect as we do, for example. Yep. We want to be successful and Mike just hit the nail on the head 110% because that's the way I look at it. Mike wants these guys, specifically the gold and silver boys, for example, to be successful. Some of them are playing QSL. Some of them are playing NBL 1. Some of them have the potential to go to the NBL, I personally believe. Some of them have the potential to be playing overseas very, very soon in, a, in college. Yep. Very soon. But they've got to want to want it. They're going to want to work. But listening to different coaches, you can have certain coaches and certain people train and coach you that way. There's always a different perspective on things, always. My perspective is different from Mike's. Mike's is different to this coach, this coach. But if you can learn two things from him, two things from him, one thing from him, and put it all together, that's what will get you and be successful. And here's the thing too. It's like I went into refereeing. I went to refereeing... (laughs) camps i went to i study from refs so when i go to 
coaching now. They got coaching clinics coming. When I go to mainland um, in uh, July, August, I'm going to Nike coaching camps. I'm going to Coach Krzyzewski's. Um, he, he coached for Duke. I'm going to be uh, going to one of his seminars. So it's not like I'm just thinking, hey, I'm just going to go with my knowledge and we're just going to do what I'm doing. I need to learn as a coach. Absolutely. I was, yeah. You know, Scotty Lloyd, I got to coach with, and his some of his dialogue to the players was really outstanding. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, as you were saying, things that we can pull from Mike, whatever. I also think, and you just spelled it out, if you can continue to grab things from others, then, like, because you don't want to stagnate yourself. Like, obviously, you have a world of knowledge in terms of basketball from every perspective you can think of, but your passion for growth in itself is contagious, and as long as you continue that, everyone's better. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. We're going to just keep going. Yep. That's awesome. And for sure, and and again... there's things that I see when I go back and do the videos on the stats and I say, Mike, this person's doing this. And he goes, yeah, but I kept this person on for that reason and, and I need to back this person. I need to trust this person. And then I go hold back. Hold on, hold on. Sometimes he does this in the middle of a game. <laughs> He'll come to me like on third quarter, Mike, Mike, you need to do this. You need to do that. And uh, it's, 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 yeah, I wouldn't say it's a need to do. I guess it's, it's things that I keep track of that you don't necessarily do because you're concentrating on the players. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you need to know, you don't ne- you don't necessarily look. You look at the scoreboard. Ah, like we're down six. Okay, who've I got on? Okay, this and this is. But he doesn't see the foul count. For the last okay. four minutes of the third quarter, we're in foul count. Involved, right. Yeah. That's why you Time need out. a good assistant. Get your right. ass over here. Go to the rim. Stop yeah. piss fighting about with these threes. Use your body. Use your saying. Cut back door. Get to the middle. Get to the high post. Use it. These those little things where Mike can coach people and personalities yeah. and individuals Inspire. and yeah. you know communication and and something that happened last Wednesday that we've spoken about between player and coach having that level of respect and communication and that line of sight and things like that yeah mike's i can't do that but it's the little things remembering that okay well you've got a mismatch yeah but he's concentrating on this yeah and Okay, well, it's a team effort. Dominic's yeah. averaging five five steals and three blocks a game. Okay, well, I need to utilize him in this aspect a little mm. bit more. Yeah. Okay, well, this guy's doing this a little bit better than. But each individual, it's a team sport. It always has been, always will be. Yeah. So each individual brings something individual to the game in some aspect, in some area, mm. and if you can get harness that out of every single one of your players every week. You'll be successful. And I got a new slogan. Come to the Kings, you'll get some rings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah.